Hi, I'm Tzemach, and today with me is Sholem Aleichem. How so, are you? Good. We, we haven't done a podcast in a while. Actually, we have done a podcast, but it's, it's so depressing that uh, I can't bring myself to edit it, because every time I listen to it, it just gets worse. But anyway, I'll get to it at some point. So uh, there are some developments. As you know, we've been doing a story here, especially with Mishpocha of Zalman Schneers and, and uh, particularly with Boruch uh, Sholem, Boris Schneers, who got shot by Enkevedeh in 1938. And it turns out when, when we obtained his case from Chelyabinsk, there were names of his kids, sorry, they were previously unknown to the family. So well, specifically, he said that he had a 17-year-old Rosa when he, when he was shot, about 14 years old Yaakov. So named, uh, armed, or should I say, so it's a bad, bad expression to use. Uh, using those names, the, the Herzog Mishpocha were able to actually find through some Facebook um, a Facebook page genealogists that located some of the names of Borok Sholem's Anikles. And then they went out of all places in some Russian uh, social site, which, by the way, is full of Schneersons. So they, after they knew the names of particular Schneersons, they were able to locate them and then get in touch with them. So here's, here's the little story that's developing. Um, as I said, when Borok Sholem was shot, he left two orphans. It appears to be from bits and pieces of conversations that I could put together is that the mother took her two kids, Rosa and Yaakov, and left, I think she left to Moscow, or they weren't allowed to live in Moscow itself as quote-unquote enemy of the people, so they had to stay behind a hundred uh, um, kilometers buffer, and specifically Rosa, who appears to be very talented, um, was admitted to some school that will take her because she couldn't just apply to any college or university. And what do you know? The war was closed. So Baruch Sholem was shot in 38. The war began in 41. And from what I understand, family uh, were evacuated out of all places to Samarkand. Stop. Hey, Reb Shalom Aleichem, please, no knocking there, because it creates all kinds of noises, okay? So now, um, it's interesting that they were in Samarkand. If they were in touch with other Chabadniks, I presume not. But uh, the town itself was full of uh, Chabad peasants, and they might have not had, and might they might have had no idea that there were two Chabad princes in the same town at the same time. Now. And it looks like even after the war, the family stayed uh, around Kazakhstan. Specifically, Rosa, Rosa's family stayed in Tashkent. And um, I'm not sure where Yaakov lived at the time, but his grandson still lives around there, which I'll describe in a moment. Okay, so it turns out that the Rosa, uh, who was... Uh, I guess she was very talented. She was a teacher in college and she married one of her students who was, how should I say it, from the local tribe. They had two kids, Sasha and Natasha. How beautifully original is that? Sasha uh, to this day lives somewhere in Russia. Natasha, who is halachically Jewish, lives in Ashkelon, Israel. And she has a daughter and a granddaughter there. Then Yaakov married a woman named Sofa, who was uh, 
the same name as his mother, actually, but she was originally from Chernigov. So he met, she married a woman who was uh, from a Kehila, or I should say, where his Zayda Menachem Mendel was at some point thereof. Now that Yaakov had a child, a son whom he named after his grandfather, which is, um, I saw a picture of it, is a spitting image of his grandfather, Boris Schneerson. Now, who is that Boris Schneerson? Boris Schneerson is uh, who presently lives in Russia, on the sort of on the Russian side of border with Kazakhstan. He is a Ben Ben of Tzemach Tzedek. He is also this Boris Schneerson, I guess, on the the the, the, the of Menachem Mendel. He was married to a woman who was anical of Levitzek Berdichevich. How do I know it was Levitzek Berdicheva? Hey, because I looked at uh, Zalman Schneerson's Matseva. And it says there, right there. Now, so here's, imagine this Boruch Schneerson, who is a Ben Achar Ben of Tzemech Tzedek, and then Enikel of Levitzek Berdicheva. It's pretty impressive, Yichus, wouldn't you say? So that, yeah. Yeah. that yes, so that Boris Schneerson, um, I got in touch with him this past week and he sort of asked me for uh, documents that relates to his aid. And of course I send it over right away because they they actually, they belong to him, He's, it's his grandfather. So those documents are the pictures that existed in the case of uh, Borg Sholm Schneerson and also two very large hundreds of pages volume volumes uh, of interrogations in the case itself which is the previously say was written sort of like a, more like a book uh, than interrogation now uh, so I send it to him and then I text him I said listen I, it must be shocking I don't know if he actually saw those kind of pictures of his grandfather. Now, uh, so I gave him space. I said, please take your time. Look at it um, as you need. Next morning, there comes a text from this guy, which says, well, I looked through this deal for this case. And uh, there was one question. He was, you know, the case itself, there's a hundred of pages of interrogations. Then, as all people who were repressed in Stalin's time were uh, rehabilitated, uh, their cases were nullified. So, this man, Boris Nelson, says, Hey, I'm not sure why rehabilitation is only one page, which sort of, to my mind, that he sort of agreed with accusations, but were questioning rehabilitations. I don't know why he said it to me. Maybe he was spooked by the case itself. Maybe he was nervous reading it. Maybe he was nervous that I spoke good Russian and thought I'm some kind of a KGB plant and got very cautious about it. Whatever it is, we made an appointment to have a chat, to speak, uh, which he then texted me that he he canceled the conversation. So I interpreted as he was afraid. Now, the reason I'm telling you this whole narrative is actually the massive amount of Schneersons in Russia itself and outside of Russia. So this, the Schneerson scarcity that we have here in the United States of America at this juncture uh, is not sort of like a, a Schneerson scarcity for the whole world because there are plenty of Schneersons. And if attempt was made to quote unquote carve them, it, it could have been done at some point. You know, I, I'm, I'm saying it realistically, but at least they should have been an attempt. So when you bring up uh, the immediate mishpocha of Rayats and say that uh, the immediate ca uh, candidates to the Chabatsky Rabistve should be uh, people who come from that mishpocha, uh, namely uh, Barry Gorari, or Bere Gorari, uh, more precisely, 
And even the grandchildren, the grandchildren of Ari Leibniz and Rebbe's brother, uh, at some point, I'm questioning that there are plenty of other Schneers and with, with similar yichus who could have done the job if, if there were interest in some way finding and, and bringing them to the fold. What, what do you think about this? Well, um, you know, I think you did a great service um, in showing that by 1941, you know, with the outbreak of the war about 1939, depends what you're talking about. Um, there were only uh, at most a half dozen, uh, you know, I don't want to bargain here. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not in the markets of Samarkand. Um, but so there were, you know, let's say there were 10 male Schneersons who were religious. I mean, uh, the Rayats, uh, the Ramash, um, you know, Hugh Galtzianer, um, you know, Bar Shimon's uh, father, uh, and uh, Schneerson and uh, Lodge and his son, and they were descendants of the Mittler of the Nazi and uh, Zalman, obviously, the Pariser Rov, and, you know, maybe a few others. So he did a great service in terms of showing that there were other Schneersons, there were many other Schneersons. And they were all non-religious. Very, very simply put, they were all non-religious. And uh, so the question asks itself, why? If this movement is the answer to the world's problems and the answer to the Jewish problem, uh, you know, that Mashiach will come, how come it is that the Tsarske Mishpacha, as it's called, the uh, royal family itself, assimilated completely, completely assimilated, completely. And if God speaks through history, which we Jews do believe that the history is the uh, way that God speaks to mankind, certainly to the Jews, uh, how come the whole Schneerson family became not religious? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost funny. I almost laugh at it, that the same people who are run around the United States here and the whole world uh, allegedly looking for a cheer of work, you know, to people who are, many of them who are really not Jewish halachically in the last 10 years, uh, you know, that their own, they can't keep their own royal family. Imagine in England, if if the whole Lahabdil, the whole royal family in England became members of the Communist Party of the United Kingdom, you know, that didn't happen. Maybe once in a blue moon, you hear about a royal personage who became a communist in, in, in European, uh, in the European uh, uh, royal families. But you don't hear it. I mean, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, and you don't hear it in England. No, no, no. no. Let, wait, in... wait. Let's let's not compare the situation in England to Russia. Russia was uh, was a, con- no, a but... big concentration camp. OK, so let's not right. compare. No, no, so, no, so no, those those true. families, those, you know, listen, wait, 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 wait. There were two parts of the story. One is multiple members of this family who became revolutionaries. That's what we discovered right. in, in okay. the course right. of this, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that was right. before Soviet right. Union, but they, but right. then, the, but but then there were Anusim. Uh, during the Soviet wait time. Second, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, I mean, I disagree with what you're saying. Because at the same time that the whole Schneers family in Russia from 1918 on assimilated in a, in a, a, ma- a major way, a major way, there were still hundreds of thousands of religious Jews in the Soviet Union. I mean, hundreds of thousands, synagogues were open, uh, underground synagogues exist. I'm not even talking about Lubavitchers and Leningrad and Minsk and Slutsk. I mean, not everyone just threw in his till and talus in the, in the pyre of fire and burnt him alive. No, that's, it's just not true. It's just not true. There are hundreds of, I mean, even in the 1950s, Rabbi Tights and others and the RCA here in America sent a rabbinical delegation to Russia, and they met thousands of older Jews who were still religious. 
you know, and, and the Schneersons were the avant-garde in becoming non-religious. That's clear. They were members of the Communist Party. And, and, and I think it ought to be made clear that what you're saying, that, for example, Boris Schneerson and others, the crimes that they were executed for was not the crimes of opening up a cheder or keeping a mikvah running. That, this is important for our listeners there in Crown Heights in the bathrooms in 770. The crimes that they were uh, uh, executed for were different sorts of crimes. They weren't crimes of spreading Yiddishkeit. So let, let, let's just make that clear. So it doesn't, you know, to, you know, and why I'm comparing it in England? Because in the last hundred years in England, the Labour Party and communism and the anti-religion, every year hundreds of Anglican churches are closed in England. But nevertheless, the English royal family, Lahabdil al Abdullah, so I'll say that, persevered. And, you know, you don't hear that Charles uh, joined the, uh, the the communist youth organization in England, you know, because they felt they had, they felt that they had a role and a goal in life. Now, clearly this was missing in the Schneersons in, in Russia, in all the Schneersons. They clearly didn't feel that they had a role and a goal and a special mission in life. That That's for sure, because if they did, this, this, uh, uh, massive, uh, if I, I'll use the word conversion in quotation marks, uh, I don't mean co- uh, conversion to Christianity, but conversion, uh, you know, uh, by the way, you know, when I say, when I'm, what I'm saying here, and I'm, I'm beginning to think, you know, there was a very famous, there's a very famous poet in America, she died a few years ago, Denise Levertov, very famous. A poet okay, okay, first- okay, we know that story. No, no, no. And Denise's father was a major missionary in the Whitechapel neighborhood in London, and he was a Schneerson. His real name was Schneerson. Well, he is, so, he is, he is a relative of Moishki Levertov, which I initially, when I found out him, people say, people say, hey, I don't know, this, this. Uh, but then, you know, you speak to Levertov, whom I know very closely, and better, you know, ask better Levertov. He'll tell you, keep shooting. I don't believe, I, I don't believe say that. It's a relative. I don't, well, first of all, I don't think that Beryl Levertov is a descendant of the Schneerson family. Correct me if I'm wrong, but okay, I don't that, believe That I is. don't know, but I've been led no, to believe no. that they're relatives. I don't know why. No, better Levertov told me they're, lever, they're relatives. Well, who, cares? Told, told who cares? Me, who, know, cares? I, who cares? Who cares? You know, it, it, its only importance is that Denise wrote a poem and she's, it's called The Old Rabbi, and the footnote to the poem says it refers to Rabbi Schneer's Almond of Ladi, who was her ancestor. And her father was Reverend Levertov, who was one of the most active Hebrew Christians in uh, the 20th century in England. And what's his name? Um, uh, Mr. Brenner, the, the famous poet in Eretz Israel. When he lived, he was not a religious man, Brenner. He was killed by the Arabs, so uh, he was a Kadosh. Any one kill, any Jew killed by a goy for being a Jew is a kadosh. So I'm not attacking him, God forbid. But Yosef Chaim Brenner was involved with Levertov. Yosef Chaim Brenner was on the verge of converting himself in England. I don't want to get sidetracked on this. I'm just saying that there that, that all sorts of Schneersons did all sorts of things. That that's all. so. One has to wonder why, unlike the Halberstams, the Tversky's, the Teitelbaums, Rubens. Uh, even Perlows, even with the many Perlows are still from Yidden. No, the Schneersons, Gornish, zero. Gornish, you know, Zalma Schneerson's um, family, his grandchildren, and the Bar Shimon. Bar Shimon, uh, Bar Shimon's great grandfather made the trek to Galicia from, uh, from the Ukraine or, and originally from White Russia. Okay, so there are a few Schneersons that are really. Just, now, the, the, the Lubavitch canard that uh, people were killed, I'm sure some Schneersons were killed in the war. I'm sure some were, but obviously many survived. And, uh, and we're not even talking about the people who are descendants of the Elder Rebbe who are not Schneersons. For example, the descendants of Mr. Ginsburg, Rabbi Ginsburg, who was a son-in-law of the Maharaj. All his descendants in, in, you know, uh, in, in his lifetime, in the Marash's lifetime, the Rashab's lifetime, were all communist revolutionaries. And the same is true, uh, this is before communism, even the revolutionaries. And, you know, I, I, and Hornstein was not much different. 
The, the Rebbe Menachem Mendel was an exception. All, all Rebbe Menachem Mendel Hornstein's brothers and sisters in Poland were non-religious. One, you know, they were not religious Jews. They, they, I will say about them, though, that they were proud Jews. They, the, the, the difference was that Hornstein, the Hornstein family, and the in-laws were all proud Jews, and they were all active in the Jewish community in Poland. They, but they weren't religious. So my question is, you know, doesn't anyone think why isn't I mean, Chabad Hasidim? You know, they think about this, they think about that. There's a shliach who goes uh, surfing. There's another shliach who has bingo games. There's not. They'll do anything and everything, but they won't think about the major issues internally. Why did all the Schneersons become non-religious? It's a question, you know, and it leads me to another question. You know, not one Chabad publication has the guts to say the following: the Rebbe didn't have any children. I mean, it's just a fact. The Rebbe didn't have any children. Why did the mainline Schneerson family die out? Why? You know what? I, I've studied Hasidus. I know a little about Hasidic history. I do. You know, there's no other dynasty like that. There's no other dynasty like that. You know, some people are probably sitting and thinking, oh, the Radzimina Rebbe in, in Varsha was Nifter in 1930s. He didn't have any children. Yeah, he didn't have any children, but he had sisters. And the sisters had children, and their children took over the Radzimina Chassidus. Awesome. Another Chochem there is thinking about the Stefanestisha Rebbe in, in Moldavia. Yeah, the Stefanestisha Rebbe Taka didn't have any children, but he had, he had brothers and sisters and other relatives. And there was a rush when he died of various relatives to move to Stefanesh. And, and and proclaim themselves in the Malamoko. Of course, no one no one really could fill his shoes. But to so have let, a let, whole me, let me let me wait. Just let, let me ask you. Speaking of Zera Kodesh, is uh, why why are you so attached to specifically people who are around? Like you know, you you would accept as a Rebbe uh, Beregurari. You would accept as a Rebbe. Uh, who knows what? But you but the other Schneersons around right now who have Yichus not less than the Rebbe himself. I mean, that, that well, Boris Schneerson, that Boris Schneerson that yeah. lives today on Kazakh border, he is, as I said, Benachar Ben of Tzemech Tzedek, Enikel of Levitzek Berdichive. What else can you, can you find? I hear, but I'll say Kalb Homer. I, I have to invoke uh, Talmudic logic here that if if the leader of Lubavitch from 1951 onwards uh, was not interested in um, in being Makarov, I'll use the word Makarov. I mean, uh, let's see, how can I translate it for our listeners who don't know Hebrew? Who, who was not interested? Pardon? We don't have listeners who don't know Hebrew. I'm I'm sorry oh, to admit. I wish I wish we would have a broader audience, but there's only there's only there's okay. only a million people that listening out there. Okay, one million people will know Hebrew. We did in that case. We did more cure of the Not million. Hokemon. I said minion, 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 not a million. Okay, yeah, it's all using car. If the Rebbe wasn't interested in in being the car Barry and inviting him to come to 770 at some point. And sit down with him in a face-to-face, pun him, pun him, as they say, and talk to him and ask him what's going to take to get you back here. Uh, and and clearly it wasn't done. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure most of the listeners, the minion of our listeners, the ten of our listeners, don't know the story of the Rebbe's brother. The Rebbe's brother uh, died very young in England, and he left a wife and a daughter there in uh, is it Liverpool? I believe it is Liverpool. And um, I have seen documentation that they uh, did not have money. The Rebbe's brother was not a rich man. And uh, the Rebbe arranged for uh, Mrs. Uh, Gorari, whose real name is Schneerson. I mean, I'm confusing everyone, but uh, uh, for uh, Yisrael Aryeleib's widow um, to um, get a job to teach English or something, uh, secular studies in the uh, base Lubavitch in London. Uh, so he clearly didn't have any money. So the question is, you know, and, uh, you know, no one will ask these questions. Why didn't the Rebbe just tell Mrs. Schneerson, uh, parentheses, Gorari, uh, please come to New York. I will support you. Bring uh, your little daughter, Dahlia, with you. Dahlia would have been sent to Beth Rifka uh, Academy for Girls. 
And there, she would have been raised as a religious girl, supported in in the finest, uh, you know, clothing and whatever. And Mrs. Schneerson, the mother, would have been uh, ensconced in a nice apartment in, uh, on uh, President Street. And when the time came, when she turned 18, 19, the Rebbe would choose one of the best young men in uh, in the Zal in 770 as her Hassan. Which you know, same thing the Rayats did when he married uh, his oldest daughter to Roshag. Uh, he would have done the same thing, and voila! Uh, instantaneously, we would have a successor. So here are two uh, people much closer to the uh, to the pot, as they say, Barry Gurari and uh, Dahlia Rothman, uh, who the Rebbe, you know, didn't see, you know, whatever, you know, they're there, but he didn't. He, he didn't seem to groom either. Not seem. He just didn't care whether they were they were um, in the loop or not. And so it's clear to me that the Rebbe did not want continuity. The Rebbe wanted to be Rebbe for his whole life. By 1951, it was clear that he and Musia, unfortunately, would not have children. It was clear. Uh, you know. With the medicate with the medicines in 1950, it was clear that no one 60 years old, and they were 50 years old, but no one 50 years old would have children. So you would think that he would start taking um, evasive action, as they say in the Air Force. I mean that he that he would start the who who you know Gurari doesn't want to be a successor. Okay, good. Barry Gazuntahed, go on your way. So but he's got a niece, and he's got a niece, and the niece, as God would have it. You know, her father died, and perfect opportunity, you know, for the Rebbe. By the way, Mayor Shapiro raised two orphans. He didn't have any children. Rav Tirolson of uh, Kishinev had no children. He raised an orphan. Um, the Boyaner Krokova uh, Rebbe, who was the Nazi of Yeshiva Schachmulim, Rameshinyu Friedman, raised uh, Yosem, who's a relative of his. This is an old tradition. In in, 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 in in Jews, of Eastern European Jews, to raise Yusainim, sometimes of your family, sometimes not. There are plenty of Yusainim in Eastern Europe. Here, Dahlia was a Yusaina. She was an orphan. The Rebbe could have raised her, but no, nothing. And and it would have done two things. First of all, he could have raised her. That's, that itself is a big mitzvah. And number two, um, you know, she, she, her husband would be this Malamoko. And if it wasn't the husband, it would be the children. So if the, if the Rebbe felt that uh, Rabbi X wasn't, uh, he was a good, a good learner, but he wasn't appropriate to Rebbe. So their children would be the, would be the Rebbe, one of their uh, children that would be the Rebbe. But that wasn't done. So that's why I'm saying if the Rebbe didn't, didn't do it with Barry Garari and with Dahlia, why should he do it with some 15th cousin in Russia who doesn't know? He, you know, and then there was another possibility. You know, I, you know, uh, the rumor, the the urban myth was that the Rebbe had asked Reb Baruch Shimon, the Chibina Rosh Hashiva, um, to send one of his sons to to 770, and the Rebbe would uh, raise him and train him. Uh, and he would be the successor. And this is a rumor that I heard a few times. But then I talked to my friend, um, um, the Narola, the young Narola Rav. He's not, I may have asked him, he's probably 90 years old today. He's a Chashev Yid, Rav. I'm an old man, I'm getting, I'm forgetting his last name. Um, uh, whatever, the Narola Rav, I mean, of company. Um, and the, the Narola Rav told me, you know, Narola was a cousin from Rabbi from a different side of the family. And Narola says that this is a nonsensical rumor that, uh, you know, there's no, no truth to it. So, uh, but, you know, the Rebbe, you know, if the Rebbe felt that uh, both Barry Gurari and the Dahlia were too secular in their backgrounds, uh, then, uh, you know, the, the, the Chabina and Rashishiva's children certainly weren't secular. They were raised as Hasidish Yidnin, albeit in the Galtzianer manner. But, you know, so Galtzianer, so the Obavitcher Rebbe speaks Mibrachun, uh, you know, I don't, I can't speak Galtziana Yiddish, so he wouldn't speak with a, even though I, I love literature Yiddish, so he'd speak with a Galtziana, big deal. You know, that's not what the world stands on. But he didn't do that either. He, he didn't do that either. And I'll give a fourth instance, you know, since I'm, I'm hot here, a fourth instance, you know, Zalman Schneerson has a son, Shalom Beer, whether he was Roy to be on Hogo or not, I don't know, I didn't know him, but certainly he had children. 
And the Rebbe could have raised their teenagers. The Rebbe could have, uh, again, not raised them, but, you know, could have, uh, could have uh, tutored them every week, bring them in for a few hours. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, instead of reading the New York Times and Aaretz and Marias, the Rebbe could have sat. <laughs> no, it's true. If the Rebbe knew about the military uh, uh, options and, and, and choices in Israel and the latest jet plans that Israel had, he probably did read the Israeli newspapers. You know, it's not exactly like uh, Amalek came to him at night and said, uh, you know, uh, the, the new next Israeli chief of staff will be uh, Plony Almoni. You know, he read the newspapers like everyone else, you know, in Israel. He read the papers. So instead of reading the New York Times and and uh, and, and, and the Yiddish Kemper, which he did read, the, you know, the paper of the Labor Bund, uh, of the Labor Zionist Organization in America, you know, he should have thrown those away the gar- in the garbage and uh, spend an hour or two with the with with a, with his namesake, Mendel Schneers, and the son of Sean Bear. And, and and he had a brother too, Yosef Yitzhak, who's I think in California now, selling insurance, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the Rebbe didn't do that. And now since I'm really hot, you know, imagine if the Rebbe wanted someone more. So the Butman brothers, Sholem Bear Butman, who's in Israel, I don't know if he's still with us. If he is, I may have asked him, Shona. And Mullah. Why didn't he take those guys and tutor them, you know, so a guy sitting out there now thinking, oh, Mullah, Mullah's going to be a rebbe, ha, 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 ha. Well, you know what? I'll quote a Choshiva Yid, Raborach Rabinovich, who was the only son-in-law of the old moon country of the Minchas Lazar. And uh, for my listeners out there, the Minchas Lazar is one of the few Achreinim that the Rebbe brings down in the Sichas, in, in, in the Marmachemus. He brings on the Minchas Lazar constantly. As a matter of fact, I was looking at the new Yiddish Siddur, the new edition of the Yiddish Siddur of Tilos Shem, and um, in the Hagdama. There's a sicha from the Rebbe about speaking Yiddish during interrupting in the davening and with Yiddish. And the Rebbe brings down the, the Melchizedek there too. So anyway, I'm uh, getting off the subject. Um, so Rebor Habanovich in an interview with Panim um, Chad, uh, some Panim there's an Israeli Yom Hashishi, uh, Israeli Orthodox paper that used to come out in the 1980s and 90s. Rebor it's a Fascinating interview because Raborachal was son-in-law of the Munkacher Rav, and he was also uh, himself. He was the son of the parts of a Rebbe in Poland. He was pale sheet. He was an Hungarian. He had a Masera. Um, and Raborach says that, I, and this is um, paraphrasing, and he obviously introduced in Hebrew, and he says, I have seen many men who were not really qualified to be a Rebbe. Once they sat down on the throne, their whole personality changed, end quote. So I don't know who he's referring to, but it's clear that people like Mullah Butman, people like um, others, and and I'm not tagging, I'm not saying that Mullah Butman's a bad person, but I mean, you know, uh, and and people like Barry Garari and people, uh, you know, potentially Dahlia, Dahlia's family, once they sat down on the throne, who knows what they would, you know, you know what, in Israel in the 1980, I believe in 1981, 1982, um, the Babasali was Nifter, and um, the Babasali apparently left at Sabah, that uh, the, the Rebbe who was supposed to take over as, as the, uh, you know, it's not really a Rebbe, but the, the Balmesis was supposed to be his son, Rebbe Meir, but Rebbe Meir died while the Babasali was still alive. So the, there was a younger son, Rebarho. Rebarho was a, uh, you know, uh, Rebarho was a politician. He was a politician and he got in trouble with the law and he had other tsaras, you know. Nevertheless, he became, he became the leader. He put on the glima, the Moroccan robe you know, with the hood. And you know what? He's been the leader of, of that particular group for now, uh, what is it, 40 years with no scandal. He's a pretty good leader. Is he about? Is he there is a paradox here, and that is, on one hand, Chabatsky, they wouldn't ad- admit anybody who, that somebody who is a row is a fit to be a rebbe, who is not some kind of a, a ilui otsum, like the rebbe himself. Uh, they, they say it's, it's automatically, it's not accepted. Yet, right now, they accept their quote-unquote leadership or fake leadership, who is not nothing, right. less than nothing. I mean, they, right. they publish picture of uh, Ben Lazar in every of their newspaper. Does anybody ever heard a 15 minutes, not forget 15 minutes, 
five minutes. Oh no, forget five minutes. One minute of Beryl Lazar speaking that's worth listening to. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not even bringing up Yudel Krinsky, Shemto, well, and, I the do, rest, and the rest I of the Chaleri. But you know what? I do want to bring them up because the Hasidists that. Lubavitchers like to uh, not compare themselves, but they, as proof, as a proof text for their own uh, not having a rebbe, they like to say, "Well, you know, Brussels doesn't have a rebbe either." You know, I don't know what Lubavitchers know about anything outside of 770. You know, I, I will admit that 770 has very nice bathrooms since Krinsky took control. Uh, you walk in, they're no, that clean, was still fine. Man. They're sanitary. Okay. Uh, but but I but I have to say that Braslov has serious leaders. The Balagola in Braslov, uh, Levi Yitzhak Bender, who was the recognized leader of Braslov when I was in Israel, his driver, and by the way, I, 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 he didn't have a driver. He was such an honor that I met him on the bus, on the Israeli and the Eged bus. I was sitting next to him in the Eged bus. He didn't have a, but let's, let's say he had a driver. Did his driver become even the temporal leader of Braslov? Come on. Braslov is le- led by men like Yankov Meir Schechter, Arush, um, Kramer, others. You know, but he, the main line, Braslov, I met, by, I met uh, led by Yankov Meir Schechter. He's a he's a Makubal, he's a Talmud Chacham. I mean, is there anyone Lubavitch? Fine. There's there's one thing. There's, there's... At the conference, at the conference, when the shliach said that, conference, whatever you want to call it, you know, the main the main speakers are Krinsky, Kutlarsky. Uh, I don't know who else they got. Maybe Beryl Azar. I didn't I didn't attend. You know, I wasn't invited. Um, but, yeah, but look, know, there's there's one thing there's one thing I hate to tell you is that as Yidden or Jews that I used to know, they're rebel, they're troublemakers, they're rebels, they they're revolutionaries, right? So here we have this large pool of Chabadske, who are sort of accepting this condition as uh, the way it's supposed to be, and they completely <laughs> have been have been uh, I I don't know <laughs> if the neutered is the right word. But Why? Well, I was going to use a stronger word. I think the Rebbe's 50 years of leadership, uh, more, more, I mean, 42, you know, castrated everyone. He, it took away from them any personal initiative. Um, and it, all it created uh, were some so-called uh, ersatz new age gurus like the Jacobson boys, like Menace Friedman, like Pinson. These are people talking garbage because all they do is they read the um, Christian um, New Age uh, literature. Maybe it's not even Christian. They go into a bookstore and feel good, and I'll feel good, and you'll feel good, and your wife will feel good, you know, and they put a little Judaism in it, and or they remove uh, mentions of JC in it. And, well, let, uh, er, well, let, and, hey, let's, let's, let's not descend to low 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 hanging fruit let's let's keep ourselves at the high hanging fruit and maybe and maybe listen i think we made our point so i i don't want to waste anybody's time is there no, it's no, like i don't i just want to finish with with the family with the schneerson family so all i, I all i was saying before i got sidetracked and I, I i sidetracked myself because that's my personality um why go to Boris Schneerson or other Schneersons uh, who are distant, re- distantly related to the main line when the Rebbe clearly indicated that he, even people who were around him in the neighborhood, uh, meaning Shalom Bear and his children, uh, people or, or Mullah Butman, who was his chassid uh, or his brother, or people who were legitimately the heir. Barry Gorari, or people who were part of his family, uh, Dahlia, he was not interested. He was not interested in grooming a successor. Now, I'll just add one last thing that I have to say. Adarabha, Adarabha the Adarabha. If the Rebbe had a Tzavah, and in the Tzavah, he named a Talmud Chacham from the community, uh, you know, who had the appropriate um, the appropriate personality. I, 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 I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there was rumors that the, the Rosh Hashiva uh, 
was named. I mean, I don't know if it's real, if it's not real. I mean, the Rosh Hashiva, what's his name? Uh, I can, uh, my memory for names is, is rapidly uh, dissipating. Um, but so if the Rebbe named Choshiva Talmud Chochum in the community as successor, that's fine with me. And, you know, who cares what I think? And it would be fine with the community because after all, the Rebbe named it. Um, you know, so it doesn't have to be a Schneerson, although a non-Lubavitcher who is, like myself, very close to Lubavitch, um, told when I mentioned to him something of this, he said, no, the Rebbe has to be from Malchus Beis David. And, you know, he has a point. He has a point. The Rebbe has to be from Malchus Beis David. But let's say, you know, the Rebbe said, okay, you know, um, it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, Plony Almoni, you know, it'll be... Uh, I don't. I can't. I mean, I, I I don't know the the cast of characters in Lubavitch anymore. Uh, you know, it'll be a Garari, it'll be Ichimeir Garari from Montreal. He'll be the new rebbe. Okay, fine. You know, so he's not a shneerson. It's not the end of the world either. Um, so it's to me, I'm not obsessed with um, with the shneersons. Although I do believe it should be a shneerson. But you know, but you have it. Okay, not a shneerson. Not a shneerson. But. Um, you know, but there's there didn't seem to be any attempt at grooming a successor. And you know, as you always uh, gently criticize me, um, so we're almost at the end. So I have to invoke the holy name of. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I have to invoke the holy name <laughs> of Rabshom Dov Ber Garari, Bera Garari, aka Barry Garari. And uh, Barry told me it doesn't even matter if the Rebbe has a will. If the person named the will was not close to the Rebbe when the Rebbe was alive, that will would probably be disregarded. Now, I think Barry is right. I mean, uh, you know, I think Barry Barry is 100% correct about that. And, you know, and if anyone out there thinks that Barry was uh, trying to... Um, uh, save his his place as the next rebbe. Barry was not interested in being rebbe. You know, I have to say that with like in Hebrew they say modern Hebrew nikuda. Period. Barry was not interested in being a rebbe. I mean, I knew Barry Garari, I knew him well, and he was not interested in being a rebbe. Period. Maybe the Lubavitcher rebbe thought that Barry was interested in being a rebbe because the rebbe was projecting his own feelings in 1950 when the rebbe was very interested in being Rebbe, although Hasidic myth, Chabad myth, says that he was ready to go to Mexico. But he didn't. He, he became Rebbe. You know, uh, so, uh, you know, it can't be, you, you can't have it both ways. Now, um, so, you know, I, the Rebbe didn't groom anyone because if he groomed anyone, we would have seen that he would have been close to the Rebbe during the Rebbe's lifetime. And he was, the Rebbe had no one close to him, no one. And uh, Yale Khan was not close to the Rebbe. Well, well, yeah, he was a soldier of the Rebbe. And, you know, I, I sit and think, you know, I was learning today. I don't know why I learned, but, you know, I guess I still learn. Um, I was, I don't know, what was I learning? I mean, uh, I was learning different form. And, you know, nothing great. Uh, um, and, you know, Avraham Avinu's uh, servant, uh, Elazar, his major domo, if I may use the term, um, Elazar, the Gemara says there, and Rashi, I think, brings it down, but I was looking at the Gemara, and the Gemara says he was Delo Mashka of, of his master. He, um, he um, you know, he uh, literally um, dola, he uh, dipped into and mashka and uh, fed and uh, gave liquid to others. You know, he spread the teachings of his Rebbe Avram Vino in terms of ethical monotheism. That's what Yochan did. Yochan was a dola mashka. He, he studied the Rebbe Sikhs and he spread them, but he had no, he wasn't close to the Rebbe. I mean, the Rebbe never, I mean, so the Rebbe told him to write the Encyclopedia of Hasidus, which he didn't do anyway. You know, he did, I don't know if he ever finished it, if he did, but the Rebbe never signed important, important uh, tasks to Yale Khan. I mean, I'm not attacking Yale Khan, that's for sure. Just saying he never, he never, you know, we, you know, when it came to politics, when it came to claw work, you know, the Yokon was never assigned important work. And, you know, for that matter, Label Groner was never assigned important work. 
you know, no, but the, the, uh, listen, listen, the, it's, it, it goes much beyond being the next Rebbe or a current Rebbe. Uh, Rebbe didn't get, didn't uh, management, which is an important part of being a Rebbe. He sort of completely ignored it. So there was what just is, a, a management who is a Rosh Hashim. Oh, who is this? Yeah, who is yeah. that? He completely ignored it. He ignored uh, even when appointing uh, Shluchim, who now sort of ran Chabad because they they came up, up, upon uh, a gold mines in different part of the world. It wasn't something like an effort of the Rebbe. They all call himself a, a Shaliach, but with very few exceptions, Rebbe didn't actually send out anybody. Now, no, absolutely. So, absolutely so, so, so. So he he sort of neglected the whole management aspect of the movement, and well, I don't know it, it affects it affects me directly when I when I uh, when I don't when I don't have a shul to go to, and I don't I don't care. Screw the philosophy, you know. I do I I only care about what's happening with me. So when I don't have I a do. shul, when I when I when I don't have a shul to go to or community to be part of. That's a consequence of that mismanagement. Screw even the next Rebbe. And that, that, that mismanagement happened not after the Rebbe passed away, but very much during his lifetime. Yes, because as Barry Gurari uh, uh, said to me, or in writing, I have, I have dozens and dozens of sheets of paper that Barry uh, letters and uh, they weren't. Yeah, personal but they're not even middle managers. They're not even middle right. managers. They're well, way below they middle been. managers. Well, or whatever, you know, I'm not going to. Okay, Yiddish, listen, let's, uh, gonna... let's wrap it up. We're losing energy here. Let's go on a go, yeah, go on I on just a high I just want to say one last thing. It's just going to take a minute. I, I just want to say one last thing. Uh, I was talking, you know, um, just want to make it clear that, you know, um, my my animosity is not against the individual Lubavitch or Hasidim. I mean, I have many friends, acquaintances uh, in Lubavitch. Uh, I, I'm just... A lot of my about, friends are Jewish, so don't worry about it. Right, exactly. The, yeah. my, yeah. my friends are black. A lot of my friends are black. Um, but uh, but it is true that I still speak to Lubavitchers and uh, and even and even though even some Lubavitchers who know my feelings still contact me. I mean I'm amazed they you know they're still in touch with me. Um, but that's um, so I was speaking to a friend of mine who is a Lubavitcher, you know, full Lubavitcher, you know, the whole nine yards as they say in America, and he was telling me that uh, in the last year or two of the Rebbe, um, a lot of Stuff, personal property of the river was uh, stolen by um, hangers-on, hangers-on of Groner, hangers-on of this. There are a lot of hangers-on. I mean, I don't want to mention names because I don't know if the names I'm going to mention are the people who took stuff. Could be they were honest people. I'm just saying there are a lot of hangers-on. Bacharim, Jungalite, they're hangers-on because, listen, Krinsky couldn't do everything by himself. Medication, management, uh, neither could Groner. They all had hangers-on who ran errands for them, telephone calls, um, whatever. And these hangers-on took all sorts of stuff. Now, if the hangers-on took the Rebbe's handkerchiefs and the Rebbe's ties and the Rebbe's dos and the Rebbe's yens, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the higher-ups took the Rebbe's stuff off. You know, and um, not accusing anyone of anything, but um, to me, it's still... Still, um, I find it amazing that a mean of the Rebbe's caliber, and he wasn't stupid, Punkta Kert, he was a very bright man, very bright man, would leave the movement leaders. I, I, I find it almost impossible to believe. And there were all sorts of rumors that the Rebbe gave the will to Pekarsky, the, the Rosh Yeshiva, and that would have made sense because Pekarsky is not a Chassid. So it would have been the logical person to give the will to that uh, Pekarsky is not a chassid. So, uh, you know, you know, um, and yet, uh, you know, no one is, you know, as I said before, Lubavitch had run. As long as he left left dirty dishes to Dahlia, we all said that. Okay, right. You're you're absolutely right. Let me just finish that. um, 
you know, Chabad, you know, is interested in running programs for prisoners. Now they're infiltrating the uh, Jewish army chaplaincy in the United States, by the way. They're, they're urging their people to join the, um, the, uh, the chaplaincy of the United States Armed Forces. Now, I'd be worried about that if there were any Jews in the United States Armed Forces, but I've had several friends who served as chaplains in the United States Air Force and and the Air Force has, if if in the Air Force there are very few Jews, very few Jews. No, because you know, you know. Listen, but now that they ran out of um, money right. for Shluchim, they they right. moved on. They moved on to what my friend called moved on onto the public tit. Right. Exactly. So so now they're moving. They're moving into um, the armed forces, and I don't know how many Lubavitchers will join the armed forces. And I'm not sure what the story is with beards. It's unclear. Uh, in the National Guard, I think you are allowed to have a beard as their great chief chaplain of the world, uh, Rabbi Goldstein. Um, you know, the okay. Only let's chaplain. let's wrap let's wrap up. I mean, we'll, we'll, you're making good point, but oh, I think yeah. I think I don't like I don't I don't there's there's uh, the energy apt, and I I want to keep this thing high energy. Okay, go ahead. No, no, but let's let's are just you, like I think you made up. your point about chaplaincy. But we we okay, so we, we moved far yeah, away yeah. from from the it's okay. the, here, here's the bottom line here's the bottom line till situation changes and you don't have balagolis who financially inter, in, incentivized to run this movement and you don't have somebody up above who can provide some kind of a spiritual guidance and who has a capacity to speak for longer than five minutes or for longer than one minute and to keep uh, attention of the public then then it's kaput hello yeah no i i'm listening to you i, no, I that's mean it. I, that's it i i, I yeah. said my part no i have nothing to add to that i think you're 100 percent right uh you know i i made the point too whereas Braslov has someone like yankin mayor schefter and the you know, uh, I'm not a Braslover Chosid, and almost every Hasidic group that doesn't have a Rebbe, and I, uh, most Hasidic groups have found, either by hook or by crook, someone to lead them, uh, because uh, I'll, and I'll finish with this, that the Rebbe Elimelech writes very clearly, and I know the Rebbe Elimelech is not part of the Chabad uh, hierarchy, uh, you know, he doesn't compare to the people leading Chabad today, but the Rebbe Elimelech, uh, who was also a Talmud of the Magid, writes in his Savoir that any group of Jews who does not have a leader, the Sultan becomes their leader, period. Okay. I'm not making that up. If they want, if they want to, they can check the Rabbi Elamelech's Savoir. I personally did not see it in the primary source. I saw it in the Savoir of um, Admur, Rabbi Aaron Roth, who was a Chashar Yid, and one day maybe we'll talk about uh, Rabbi Aaron Roth, the, the founder of the Shomer Munim told us Aaron Tovels, Avram Yitzhak Chassidus, and he writes in the Tavor, quoting the Rebbe Ve'elimelech, that a Chassidus, or a group of Jews, a Chavraya, he calls it, a group of Jews, who does not have a leader, fails to appoint a leader, the Sutton becomes the leader, period. Okay, okay, listen, uh, we have our 10 listeners, I'm sure are going to look at look this up. Thank you very much for today's uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And have a beautiful Thank you. day. You as well. It's here only Basura's Tavos. Amen. Amen.